Yeah. Oh yeah. This is okay. this is HD. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is not. I can I can just sense the excitement in your voices. Uh, well, yeah. before you were kind of like laid back and you like a fuzzy PJ, and we always look forward to like the 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 like the bright face of PJ. I do. Well, you can see the blackheads and the pores in my nose. Well. As I was talking to you before Connor got there, PJ, my new L'Oreal, I'm using, and Connor, you didn't know this. Can you tell my appearance is more youthful, Connor? Actually, I can a little bit, yeah. I know it's hard for you to say, but I've been using it, these, this revitalizer my wife turned me on to. And like every night I put this cream on my face underneath my eyes and it's like wrinkles and saggy skin and all that. And honestly, I've been doing it for a month and can you, you can tell, right? You can tell. I just thought you were getting more sleep. I am getting a lot more sleep too. That is, that is absolutely true. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, PJ, because me by myself, this would be... Yeah, I don't right. envy it when you have to go through this on your own. I do. That's why I'm back on it, just a bit of moral support. I need it. I need it. All right. Do, 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 do. I have so much coffee in me, Connor. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Anytime you want to stop, I can get it started. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away. To a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of The Roundup, catching up in the weekly headlines, results, and news from the professional tour and college squash. We are back. I'm here, Counter Malley, with Bill Buckingham and, thank the Lord, PJ Johnson, <laughs> so I don't have to do this by myself. Boys, <laughs> 2024, here we are. PJ, we're going to kick it off with you. How are you? Season's greetings, chaps. Hope uh, you all had a nice time over the festive period. We were just talking about this briefly offline before we came on. Bill, you look just so refreshed and bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, caffeine-fueled. So I've got a feeling this should be a pretty good show, Connor. But I had a very nice time over the, the holidays with the family. Very low-key, quite relaxed, quite chilled out. Plenty of golf, plenty of Christmas pudding, and plenty of alcohol was consumed. So... It was a good time. Good time was had by all. Yeah, it sounds like a great recipe. Great recipe. (laughs) Bill, you've been waiting so patiently in the past 30 seconds, whereas the past (laughs) however long we were talking, we can get you to be quiet. So congratulations on on that. Thank you. It's nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's peaked. He's done. He's peaked. He's come. First of all, Connor, just we didn't mention this podcast. We have a sponsor finally, sponsored by L'Oreal, because I'm worth it. <laughs> no, things, things are good. It's great to be back. When we take a vacation, we cover all every religious aspect of the holiday. We started, I believe, pre-Hanukkah. So we took Hanukkah off, even though none of us are Jewish. Then we took Christmas off and through New Year's and we're like leaning into Kwanzaa right now before we finally we finally get back to recording. So it wasn't because of any lack of initiative on our part. It was holidays. You can't work during the holidays. You have to be you have to be conscious of other people's holidays. And that's what we were. So it's great to be back. We How get, about we get yourself, a lot. Connor? How about yourself? How yeah, you Connor, let's not forget you. We always forget you. I but- don't, Bill. I, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it was a nice time. I was able to catch up with some friends All and right, thanks, Connor. It was good. Good wrap up. Let's go. No, guys. <laughs> Sorry, Connor. No, I was able to catch up with some friends and family. So it was nice. Good, good holiday traditions back in order and after a little break. And yeah, it was all good. Did you, attra- you guys travel anywhere outside of your, your environs? 
Oh my gosh. I ended up, because I'm down in Washington, D.C. these days, my family's still up in the Northeast. So I drove almost 20 hours oh. in five days. It was up to Connecticut, then Massachusetts, across Connecticut, down. So it was a lot of driving. Oh. And as a bill, I don't enjoy driving. But <laughs> no, and you're not very good at it. <laughs> thank, thanks, man. That's all no, relative. It's kind of like sex. <laughs> it's not like sex. How would you rate yourself as a passenger, Bill? Awful. I'm the worst passenger in America, as anyone who's ever driven with me knows. There's no question about it. I have very few weaknesses. Being a passenger in the car is one of them. So Yeah. So. Okay, we got a lot to cover. So let's jump into it. We're going to do a little bit of a recap on what happened during our time away. We've got a little bit of a look forward to what's coming up on the PSA World Tour and College Squash, but also some topics to dive into. Uh, I was going to take the opportunity of sharing. I do have a new role. It's a, I guess it's a new old role, and I'm back with the PSA group. And I think it's just so exciting with the inclusion of the Olympics. It's hard not to to really jump in at a moment in our time in our sport where it's going to be going to new heights and this i just feel very honored and privileged to be back with the psa and and to be a part of it congratulations connor in what capacity connor what's the what's the, the new old role yeah so it's essentially helping to execute on the strategy of the psa and anywhere where that strategy touches the u.s market and one of the things that I don't think is fully understood about the PSA group is how much it's changed in the past 18 months. So what we know, PJ, what you knew as the PSA was really the tour and the membership. And then it started growing and it's like, hey, we're trying to do this commercial stuff, this media stuff, but it doesn't fit into any legal structures and certainly couldn't take on outside investment. And so when those opportunities came up, we really had to change the structure of the PSA. So there's now three separate entities, the PSA tour and the membership group, the PSA Foundation, which is the charity arm in UK and US, and then Squash Media Marketing, which is the commercial entity to try and power the sport. And how do we monetize the media rights? How do we get more sponsorship? How do we really fuel the growth of the sport? So I sit across all of those in the US, which is, it's a lot to get done, but it's yeah. exciting times. And you remember PJ back in the day when the PSA staff was really only like maybe three four people yeah tiny yeah. office i think at most i remember during my phase of this but it was about six people in the office down in cardiff yeah yeah and now that is north of 60 people and with aspirations of getting to 100 not too far so a lot of growth to, to come but a lot of responsibility to also try and monetize the sport exciting time no, that's great. You've been so critical of Lee, Alex, and Tommy. I'm, that's really good. They were able to ignore that and, and give you a position that, that shows growth on their part, Connor. It does. About the maturity capacity of you, Bill? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I have no maturity capacity. Connor, I'm sitting here doing a podcast with no pants on right now, literally. Yeah. That's a horrible yeah. That's a horrible Bill, I know we, you didn't, Bill was just proving it. We believed you, by the way, Bill. we believed you <laughs> on the pod. I'm excited to try and bring a little bit of that each time trying to drip it out. But I would say two things that I'm excited about, and we have a huge strategy coming out, but I would say it's really, we're in the aggregating business right now of what is all the content and media out there that we can help really pull together and then have a single source way that we can distribute. So think of squash player magazine, and then also that we're taking over and we're going to do squash player magazine, Australia, squash player magazine, England, squash player magazine, Holland to, so you get the, what's the majority content that people want to hear about on the PSA world tour, but then what's the local component that we need to make it feel 
more like your magazine. So doing that. And then also squash TV dot local. Oh, oh, yeah. So cool. trying to get whether it's PJ, think of how robust the league structure is in England. Yeah. So yeah. let's get more of that on there in the US. Would college squash want to participate in it? Would high school squash want to participate in that? So yeah. really trying to create that central way that people can learn more about the sport. Because I, I got to tell you, there's so much I didn't know. I still didn't know. But when I was a player in high school, I had no clue that there was really college squash or even professional squash. And this is a way that the fans and players can learn more about what other types of squash are out there. With Squash TV local also fulfill what we wanted to see is the CSA streaming of the CSA being more professionalized. It's a good question. No, I think so. There'll be different types of production level. So what with full TV broadcast, which PJ is in the weeds on and produces, then there's lighter kit. So maybe a three cam kit with, we have remote commentary available, also onside commentary and then single cam, like, Hey, let's just get it in there. Then there's scoring overlay. So with this, what we have is this is both a hardware solution and a software solution. So there's a really affordable solution coming to market for under a $4,000 you could get it set up at your place and it could have scoring overlay and it can all be put in one place on squash TV. Uh, wow. local. No, that'd be cool. Yeah. As one more initiative, Connor, and you decide whether this is something that's as important to you guys as it may be to me, if you could launch maybe an investigation into the life of Michael Absalom to see if he has any, maybe things in his closet or things he's done in the past that maybe preclude him from being involved with any more PSA events as an MC that would, I'm not sure that's high on the priority list, but it's something maybe to have them look at. I would be careful what you wish for, Bill, because if you get investigated, then you're definitely going to, you'll be out of work. You'll be dropped like a bad habit. I would hope that all the money would be spent on the Absalom investigation, that there wouldn't be any <laughs> left to go back into my, because if they did do it with me, yeah. no, 100% the case. This could be your last podcast. <laughs> this would be it. <laughs> yeah. This is you showing your hands. So instead of trying to build yourself up, you just want to take other people down? I found that's easier, to be honest with you, especially when you're working with the weaponry that I have. I really don't have a lot to, to boost myself with. So instead, tear other people down. It's worked so far, Connor. I'm 60. I'm still here. Look <laughs> hard to argue without those facts. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm excited about that. More to come. And um, uh, yeah. So let, should we dive yeah, into? Yeah. So while we were gone, the biggest event, obviously, we were on the air and we had podcasts for all the major the platinum events and the gold events. But the one event that we previewed right before we went on our month long sabbatical was the World Team Championships that took place in New Zealand, the World Team Championships. The, surprising no one were won rather handily by Egypt. There was a little buzz going in because of the Mohammed Al Shabagi and Marwan Al Shabagi's defection, for lack of a better word, uh, over to the England side. So they thought be, people thought because of that, that it would come down to those two teams. And certainly it did. To me, and I'll just give my opinion first, and I know Connor and PJ have maybe have disparate opinions in myself. To me, this event was almost a non-event. It lacked any buzz whatsoever. It could have been because in the United States, it was in New Zealand. So the time difference made a big deal. It was very difficult to watch, very difficult to follow online, but also the fait accompli of Egypt winning. You knew beforehand that Egypt was going to win. And 
and it just lacked any drama on my end. Something to me, as in PJ, you're at the US, the British Junior Open right now, where I saw the stats of the semifinalists of e how many Egyptian semifinalists there are compared to the rest of the world. And it, it's a staggering amount. So it doesn't seem that this is going to change anytime soon. To me, they might, I don't know if there's a way to revamp this or to change it, but it might, something might have to be done because it looks like Egyptian domination is not going any away anytime soon. If you're just referencing quickly the British Open here at the moment, yeah, you, what do we got? I think it's nearly a thousand participants from 70 odd countries. I can't remember the exact details. What I will say is, yes, you're looking at a lot of domination on the board with the Egyptian flags. But what I'm seeing is, apart from the very, very top tier level, maybe the top one or two seeds, there is a big drop off in standard. Although at the moment, a lot of the flags may be Egyptian and what have you. The standard at the moment is not what it once was when you're talking about the likes of the Shabagis, the Asals, the Farag, players of that ilk. The number one seed in the under-19s, Egyptian boy, I can't remember his name now, and, and Jonah Bryant, they do look like the real deal. But aside from that, nobody really thus far, and we're talking about 17, 18-year-olds, is really shining. And when I compare back to the eras that I played in, you had... Somebody like Del Harris, he won this the British Open, the Drysdale Cup, at the age of fifteen. He went on to be, you know, world number seven. Simon Park beat me in the final in nineteen eighty nine. When he beat me in the final, there he was number three in England and top ten in the world. So, when you look at the standard that this event was back in its heyday, I personally don't feel that it's as strong as it once was. You're starting to see a lot of inclusion from different nationalities through the later rounds of the British Open, which is encouraging. Where that goes from this point forward, we'll have to wait and see. Although, yes, currently seeing the same flags, Bill, for me, the standard, it's not where it once was. And Any reason? I'm not sure. Maybe some of the, co the top coaching from co coaches from Egypt have moved across to the US and, and sought out coaching elsewhere. I'm not sure. Maybe, I may be wrong, I don't know this for certain, but maybe they don't have the numbers that they once had in Egypt, why there's a bit of a decline and a drop-off in standard. I'm not quite sure. Perhaps it's just a phase that they're going through at the moment, but, and it could be just a matter of time before they do come back around again. But the door's definitely ajar for some other countries to start to cement their authority and change this Egyptian domination that we're seeing right now. Even though the standard has dropped, as you said, there's they're still dominating, right? There's U.S. Is, has a I wouldn't say a toe in the a foot in the door, maybe a toe in the door, but Egypt yep. is still. If you look at the numbers of the semifinalists, it's it, they're still dominating. Whether the level of play is as high as it was before, that's notwithstanding. I saw a stat. I think somebody posted something on Facebook the other day, going into the quarterfinals. I think it was through all age groups and categories. The U.S was second on the table. Egypt had 44 participants in that particular round of the event and America was second with 17. So quite a significant drop-off. But then the drop-off from the USA down was drastic as well. You're getting down to the UK with or England with two players. You've got you know, There was a couple of South Americans with one or two players in the quarterfinals. So yes, it's still very top-heavy with Egyptian dominance how that changes i don't know but i was more referencing the standard that 
the quality of play, right? The quality, no, the quality of play, yeah. I got, I got you. Just quickly before that, just curious, and maybe you've heard since you're on site there, and I was curious, Amina Orphy not participating in this. Is this because she's now focused full-time PSA? Is that why she's I think not she won. I think she won the event last year, from what I'm right. hearing. She won the event. She's also world junior champion. Mm-hmm. What's the point in her going and winning another British Open? And it's interesting as well, Bill, because back in, again, I keep referring to my generation, to win the Drysdale Cup or the British Open was a very, it's a very prestigious event. And right. Del Harris, four years in a row, never been done since, and that won't be matched ever, in my opinion. But he would continue to play because of the prestige. This is our longest running and most prestigious junior event on the circuit. Orphy's only 16, 17 years of age and she's already burst onto the pro tour. So maybe feels that the junior aspect of her squash career is of little to no significance now. And she's already moved on past that. But yeah. I personally think it would be would have been a nice touch for him to continue to play and win this event. But Yeah, you look at the, as you're coming through the junior ranks, and the reason why this is relevant to, to Bill's point is this is an indication of future country success. And so for an individual player, I look at it like, hey, what's that checklist of accomplishment at the national level? Then you start looking internationally, and it's hard to dispute the British, the BJO, the British Junior Open, is the most prestigious one. And so you go accomplishment, but then it turns into legacy building. Right. And so if you check the box, then it's what's the legacy building? And I have to imagine, tell me what you think, PJ, but with someone's caliber of or I'd be focusing on the World Junior Championships. And then how does the PSA focus into building your climbing the ranks? Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think world, world champion, obviously, is the pinnacle. But then it's like the tennis players going after the Grand Slams, isn't it? I think the British Open, US Open now is probably the third most prestigious title to win for a lot of players. And I think as you look back on a career as a player, it would be nice to reference the fact that you were a two-time, three-time winner of certain major events. But perhaps that's a different mindset for some of these other players, I don't Man. know. Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to talk to her and see what her see if she even has a thought about it. She's what a sixteen-year-old girl, so she might just be like, "Whatever, I'd rather I, go I, do this at Christmas time than go to England." Correct. I can imagine I, she's probably got an eye already set on the tournament of champions with the team mm-hmm. around her. They're probably advising to skip this and use the time, in their opinion, more wisely to prepare and get ready for some upsets. In in January, middle in a couple of weeks' time, where we started, where we saw where she's burst onto the scene a year ago, so she'll be looking to continue that kind of trend. The back end of 2023 for Orphy wasn't exactly how she would have hoped. She came off to a terrific start to the season, but then it did taper and simmer down in the latter stages. So maybe she'll be looking to regroup and refocus and start again. It's also, from a pure money perspective, it's all out of pocket for the junior events. Might not make financial sense. But bring it back to the men's world teams, Bill. The format's going to be what it is because it's a defined world championship. It has to be that way. But I think you raise an interesting question. Given the sort of lopsidedness, and this happens in other sports, there's the Davis Cup, but then there's the Labor Cup, right, in tennis, which is, what is it, Europe versus the rest of the world? So it gets into can other formats be created that could be more interesting. And I think you did a little bit of work here to what could be an interesting format with Egypt taking on the rest of the world. Yeah, with PJ and I and yourself even are big golf fans. And as we know, the Ryder Cup was one of the great events. Every two years it happens. It's a lot of fun. People get into it. And back in the day, I don't know if you remember, Connor, I'm sure PJ does, that the Ryder Cup used to be England versus the U.S. And that was the Ryder Cup. And 
they stopped that for the sole reason that it was just so one-sided that it wasn't even it wasn't a compelling enough event and then they made it Europe versus the US and that's when they brought in the Spaniards and they brought in Seve and it really changed the whole tenor of that event where now I look forward to the Ryder Cup just as much as I look forward to the majors it's like one of the most compelling events to watch and especially more recently with the, the European side being being almost dominant in it when especially when it's being played in Europe so looking at that and I'm not saying to do away with the world team championships but just like I was thinking when the Olympic announcement happened and I said the Egyptian Olympic trials would probably be one of the most compelling tournaments to watch I was thinking about a Ryder Cup style event Egypt versus the world we could call it the Buckingham Cup if we wanted to we don't have to name it that now that's up for maybe we could get some naming rights and some sponsorship but since I thought of it we are going to call it the Buckingham Cup for this iteration I went through and this is based on current PSA rankings so what we'll do uh, just like the CSA, they have nine spots on the ladder when they play a match. We took the top nine Egyptians in the rankings against the top nine rest of the players in the world in the rankings and matched them up. And we'll start at the bottom and just quickly, I'm going to do, I'm going to give a little checkbox and see what the score would be if we decide who would win these matches. And obviously it's very subjective and on a given day, any of these players could beat anyone unless you get to the very top of it. Number nine would be. Mohammed Al Sherbini would play Abdullah Al Tamimi. Who do we got? You want me to give you my opinion on the results? I do. Yeah, Tamimi. Tamimi. Yeah, it's same. Okay, so same. one zero to the world. Next up, Ali Abuelainen against Baptiste Masadi. By the way, how great is this? This is great, right? These are great matchups. So far, so Oof. good. Masotti. Yeah, I think I, I'm thinking experience at that level. I love Ali Abuelainen. I really think he's one of the like up and coming players, but I don't think he's quite ready yet. I think you, Connor, you're right. I think if they play, and we're saying that they're going to play this weekend, so we're not going to say a year from now where somebody no. gets experience. So yeah, it's Masadi's. So right now, the world is dominating up. Egypt. Right now, we're dominating. So hey, and, uh, it all comes down. This is what's so exciting about college squash. It can be. Uh, it could be anything. a lead. Uh, right, Hang on a minute. Get... Let's not get carried away here, boys. No, it's got. I know. I know. Let's let's we know what's coming at the top. We know what's coming at the top. <laughs> and we don't have we don't have Harry Smith to tell us the order of play right now. And but <laughs> I think even Harry would say this would be the match of the week, unlike Franklin and Marshall against Amherst or whatever he picks on the typical basis. I don't know. Harry doesn't have any relatives playing in this. That, that's so. true. I, that's a hundred percent true. He may have an Egyptian relative, like from a thousand years behind, but you never know. So at the number seven spot, another great matchup: Dasuki against Miguel. Dasuki Rodriguez. That's still a compelling matchup, though, right? That's you're gonna yes. go with Dasuki. I'm gonna wow. go with Dasuki. Yeah, on a one-off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the only reason I would go with Miguel is you got to realize this is not a full tournament. So it's not like we're into the third or fourth round and Miguel's tired. This is a fresh Miguel. That's the only reason I think Miguel might pull this off, but I'm a Dasuki fan. I know how good Dasuki is. So I let's throw Egypt a bone. They don't win a lot. So we might as well give him a win, right? Fair enough. All right. Next up, Yusuf Solomon against Victor Kron. Isn't this awesome? Like how great would this be? I'm going to say Solomon. I'm going to say Ooh. Solomon because I would say he's a much more regular 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 player. Cruan at the moment, he came again flying onto the tour. He's good. He's very good, but he's bad. He's pretty average. And he that's an area of his game that he needs to work on. I just think he's lacked a little bit of confidence over the last six months. 
he will be back without a doubt. He's a bright boy. He's a great kid. I like him. And I think there's more to come from him. But I would say, Solomon, you're going to get that consistent performance from him. Yeah, I think along those lines, in a tournament, I like Victor's chances more because he does have a lot in the tank. But in a one-match one, one focus, I think Solomon can really go in and focus on that match and the outcome of that match. So I would give it to Solomon. Uh, agreed. I, I think, I'm waiting for Solomon to make his mark on the tour, to be honest with you. He's such a good player and so exciting. And he's, he was picked as part of their national team for this iteration. So he's right there with the top players. So the fact that he's playing number six is pretty incredible. That's a pretty incredible team when you have him playing number six on it. Next up, a veteran matchup. Tarek Momin against Joel Macon. <laughs> Another, this is a, I'm going to go. Wow. Tarek. I'm going to go with Tarek. And only because it's a one-off. So if this was PJ, yeah. just throwing this out there and Connor, we'll get to your pick right afterwards, PJ, if this was the quarterfinal of a tournament, who would you go with Macon? Or- I'd go with Tarek. Go Either with way. Tarek. I think he would twist and turn Joel until he just couldn't, until his hips went numb. I just think he would. <laughs> I don't think Joel would make it physical enough. Because the rallies with Tarek would be short, sharp, and not too much attritional stuff up and down the walls. Connor? This is a very interesting matchup. And I think there was a period of time where Macon's form was just, we didn't know what heights he could go to. Would be would he be on track to be the next Paula Cole? So I'm going, I'm basing this off of current performance. I think the Tarek. Agreed. Agreed. So right now we have the e- Egypt just edged into the lead after being down to love is now up three to two. And now we get into the teeth of the uh, Egyptian lineup. That is three to Egypt after basically playing the bottom of their ladder. Right now we get into Mazen Hesham against Marwan El Shrabagi. Mazen. Got to give Mazen. Mazen. Wait, against Marwan. Marwan, sorry. Yes. Yes, yeah. Marwan. Not Mohammed. Marwan. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mazen has a terrible track record against Mohammed. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible. Too, yeah. little too much respect there, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not quite sure yeah. what the goes on. Because I think Hesham's a much better player than Mohammed is right now. But you're right. Mentally, he can't get by him. I think it's a consistency. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, I think Hesham, you know what? I think if they bring Hesham in and like he becomes like a mainstay of the Egyptian national team, he seems like the type of player who would love playing for his country. Yeah. He just ha- he seems like he has that personality. I'm really hoping he he comes to the U.S. and plays for the U.S. team in the Olympics. And, a, and a, the Olympic team of Mustafa Sal, who inevitably is going to come to the United States and play, right? That's like a fait accompli. It's 100% going to happen. And then Mazen Hesham playing number two. And then we throw like Timmy Brownell at three. That's a pretty good team. okay so right now it's now four to two so we're pretty much going to close this match out i soon this is an interesting one and just it's got to be current because obviously muhammad is getting a little bit older quick quickly uh, because right now it's four two so the next match would win so you got to give who does the world have a chance we might have to break order here it's going to be a toss so this is this is one where the world has a chance so we have gawad gawad against shabagi muhammad shabagi well, I would, right now, if we had to do it, it's definitely our Shabagi because Gwad's injured. But don't, and we can't say peak either because, like, peak Shabagi against peak Gwad, that would be a toss up also, probably going to a Shabagi. So let's say before Gwad got injured against Shabagi or beginning of this season. On that ground, you're going to have to give that to Gwad. You can't give any more reasons for it not to be El Shabagi. <laughs> 
<laughs> so how about we say that Gawad's not feeling great that day? Maybe he has a little cough. Because <laughs> we do want this. To, we do want to get to the end of this, and these matches I matter. Shmagi didn't sleep too well. He's got... <laughs> yeah, and also remember, these, this is going to be played on a three-court system, so these matches aren't going to be going like one, two, like all the way down. It's going to be like they're going on at the same time. So even if the Egyptians clinch now, Nobody really knows because the other matches are actually still happening. So just think about that, too. <laughs> All right. On, on that premise, let's give that result to you. All right. Yeah. All right. We're, we're going to throw a bone. We're going to throw a bone. Okay. Now we're getting to the top two. Mustafa against Paul Call. I'm going to go for Cole. Cole currently. I'm going for Cole. Yeah. Cole, he's been playing out of his mind in the past two months. Like it... Just look at the last three events. All right. I sell didn't feature at the U.S. Open, but the last couple of events... Cole's going through some technical changes that we've seen that are very apparent and obviously working and paying off. Uh, he's got some confidence back. He's got some passion back. Asal, for me, is still a little bit lost. He's trying to take or make some massive, massive changes for him. It's almost like everything he learned growing up as a junior. He's almost got to reinvent his wheel. He's having to start over again when it comes to a movement situation. Yeah. Given the fact that Cole's flying high and the cell hasn't quite found his feet, he will. This year Agreed. could be the year, but I'm going to have to give that result to Cole. So, it, so we know who it comes down to, right? So we know who's going to win this one. This is pretty much, a, I would think, a no-brainer on my end anyway. So it comes down to Diego against Ali Farag. To, for, it's 4-4 right now. And yeah, the final look, match. At the head, look at the head-to-heads. Yeah, Diego I doesn't mean, have a chance. So in the end, if, I think we're unanimous that, that Ali would take that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Egypt wins again, <laughs> and that was with us j- j- jiggering this as best we can to make it exciting. So I have to say, though, even as you're rattling through those lineups, I'm thinking that could actually be completely fun. That, that would, would be, be an unbelievable event. Yeah, yeah, I, and I have to only because I know he's listening, and I know he's going to give me holy hell if I don't say that the the inspiration for this was one Francis Gilpin Lane, who we discussed this at, on a phone call like maybe two months ago, talking about this kind of event. So he threw it out there like a Ryder Cup style event with Egypt versus the world. And he talk, I think he's going to talk talk about it. Gilly has a new podcast. Have you guys been listening to it? No. No, no. Okay. I don't, I'm not going to give it a free plug here, but he does. It's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's not riveting content like this, mind you, which you'll be able to tell if you listen to it. But either way. But yeah, pretty cool event though, right? Like that, that Wait, Buckingham. I love the sound of it. Let's find a sponsor. Let's find us. Let Mark Mark Walter. Are you listening? Are you listening? A, a pre Olympic event featuring this somewhere in the United States would be incredible. We we got to do this for the women next time. Oh, let's do it next next episode. The, the thing is, the reason I didn't do it for the women is because the U.S. is like right there on on Egypt's tail. The last few world teams, right? And they've lost. They've lost, but they have been right there. It came down to the Sobi Gohar match. It wasn't like the it was done before it started. Those two teams were dominant, but. You're right. Let's do men in in the spirit of fairness and equality. Shout out BJK. BJK. We will do a women's one and, and go through it. So look forward to Tomato Ho playing against Nada Abbas in a thrilling number nine <laughs> number nine position. So that looking just quickly back before we look into the the Florida event that's coming up this week. The majors that happened already this year were, believe it or not, four of them: Paris, Qatar, Philly, the U.S. Open, and then Hong Kong. The usual suspects on top, obviously the top performers this year, so far on the men's side, by far and away beating their competition is Farag and Paul Call. They are the story of the men's tour this year. They are dominating. They've won two, each one of them has won two two of the major championships. Paul Call is back, which is great 
for men's squash. But Ali Farag is also at the top of his game. So very exciting. Looking forward to the rest of the season and the rest of the majors. But those two really have, even though Elias, Elias is ranked higher than Call, it's fair to say that Paul Call is playing better squash than him. Yeah, I, I, so much of it's going to depend on the draws over the, the coming tournaments. I think that Elias has a much better chance of beating Paul Cole than he does Farag. And mm. so it will depend on what stage of the event he comes up and, and plays. If, if Ali's one, Paul's two and Diego's three, those two switch back and forth with the two and three slots, it will only be Cole that has a chance of beating Farag as well. So... Uh, so much of it will depend on the draws for the upcoming events. But they have certainly opened up a, a bit of a gap with the chase impact, those three. And who do you see, PJ, changing that right now besides Diego? Asal, I, obviously, if he does, you talked about it earlier, he has changed his style of game a bit and yeah. get back to where he was. But if you take those four players aside, and who else? Mohammed's getting older. Marwan's getting older. Yep. As you said, Victor Kruin has flattened out a little bit. Joel Macon has, maybe has peaked, maybe not. Who else do you see? Anyone else you see on the horizon jumping into that upper echelon? I think you can never count Gawadov. It, it, a lot of it depends on how bad the injury was. He's playing in some of the upcoming events, I think. So uh, we'll see how he's faring coming into those events. I would like to see a bit more of Joel Macon. Joel Macon was having a good run at it from the back end of some like the British Open onwards last year, but then he didn't really feature too much in the last few events of the season, did he? So I don't no. know if, they, if he was injury-ridden. One of them, I know he went somewhere for a wedding and he was he seemed like he'd really hit his stride at that stage, but he didn't play. He might have been the US Open, actually, where he didn't come and play. Aside from that, I can't really see too much changing this coming season. I'm not seeing anybody that's going to really start to trouble those top guys. It's another year that Cruan's been on the tour, so he could maybe gain a little bit more experience and a bit more consistency with his game. But when you look at all the players that you've mentioned there, they're your Dasukis, your Mossads, your, your Shibagis, both brothers, they're in that twilight phase of their career. Even a Tarek moment, how much longer can he keep going? What about Ibrahim? Yeah, that's who I was I was going to say. He he would be the one to watch for me. His injuries are certainly, I don't know what's going on with his injuries, but there was that period of time when he just was, each draw he was put in was just taking all, you know, these taking so, so many people down. So he'd be one to watch for me. Yeah, if, without a doubt, he is the most talented of the prospects coming through. But I do still feel that it's almost one of those scenarios where... He burst onto the tour, burst onto the scene. Nobody could really figure out exactly how to play him, how to beat him. Same thing with Asal. Then players started to get more court time with him and learn and figure out some of the weaknesses and chinks in the armour. And then they managed to subdue them and their progress. So that I feel that Ibrahim has the potential, but it depends what he's been doing out of season and what's he gone away and worked on with his game. Because as I mentioned before, with uh, I think it was Cron, that when he's good, he's very good. When he's not on, he has a hard time refraining from continuing to fire the ball in short and makes way too many unforced errors for his level. And I think what the rest of the tour have done, they're extending rallies now. They, they know how dangerous he can be going in short, but he will continue to go in short and he can make a lot of cheap points and, and errors for the opponent. So 
if he can get a little bit more solid and sound from a foundation standpoint with his technique and his basic length and width hitting, then the short game will always be there. It's if he's gone away and worked and developed those particular areas of his game. But from a commentator commentary perspective, I can vouch for Joey as well. We absolutely love watching him play. He's, he's right there with Gawad. He's compelling viewing. He's exciting. You just don't know what... I mean, there's shots that he plays that we struggle to explain what, exactly what he's done. So we do need him. And I, hopefully he can get up there and start playing near his potential. Because if he does that... The, you know, you're talking him. You're putting him in the same realm as somebody like a Shabana. So PJ, I know you have to run soon, but before you do, let's talk just quickly on the women's side. Obviously, it's been a Sherbini Hamami show the whole season. Gohar's yeah. been injured since the beginning of the season, since the the first since the Paris event in which she lost yeah. to Sherbini. We haven't seen her since. Now that now with Amanda Sobi down, she was number five in the world, I believe, and beat Sherbini pretty handily in Hong Kong yeah. before she got injured. But so. What do you see on the women's side? Do you see discontinued domination from Sherbini and Hamami and hopefully Gohar comes back and throws her hat back into the ring and makes it a bit more compelling on the women's side so we're not just watching Hamami-Sherbini finals for the rest of the season? Without a shadow of a doubt, Gohar will be back up there as quickly as she left. I think those three at the moment, even when you had Joel King and Sobi and players of that ilk, it was a three-horse race, wasn't it, really? And even the fact that she's been out with this plantar fascia issue, she will play at such a pace that it will just be too much for a lot of the rest of the tour to handle. Naila Hillis and her sister Tina Hillis started to have a good run through at the back end of the season. They could maybe push the likes of Gohar and Hamami. I just don't, I'm not sure whether they're going to be quite good enough yet to beat them. So I think it will very quickly and early on in this first half of the season, it will just be time before Gohar gets back up to two or challenging for the number one spot again this season. Right. Nayla seemed to thrive on the hectic early season schedule. Like her fitness is, seems to be so much higher than the rest of the women that as busy as the season got, she thrived on that as opposed to getting worn down by it. And she got better and better as it went by. Yeah, I, I think also for, for Nayla, it's, I mean, this improvement has been 10 years in the making and finally it's starting to come to fruition and she's seeing the rewards of the hard work and the things that she's been working on with her team and Robert Owen in particular. And what you're starting to see now was before there was an element of doubt in her when she was on court, you could see that, but now she's confident. She's seen the results. She's seen, she's feeling the improvements and she looks a lot more confident and in, in charge and in control of what she's trying to achieve when she's on the court. Without a doubt, I think she'll have some good performances again this season because I feel that she senses that it's just it's clicked for her now and she, she knows what she's trying to achieve when she's out there playing. I'm predicting another good season for Naila. And also Norel Tayeb is another one, not to get off Naila, but another one who's still sitting there. She's number, I think, number six or seven in the world and can win any tournament. seems like she's just missing a little bit of the fire she used to have for some reason. She just, I, not that I want to see poor sportsmanship, but I haven't seen Nor smash a, rack, a racket over her leg recently, like that she used to do when she would get upset at herself. Do you mean she's maybe found other ways to express it, Bill, which is okay? I guess. <laughs> The result. The results used to be better. Ty, Ty okay. is one of, 
in my opinion, one of the most talented lady players of this modern generation. When you watch her play, I really enjoy the way she does get stuck in and she's very gifted with the racket. Let's not forget, she's also a mother. This, the, her story is just phenomenal, the more you think about it. 2017, her and Ali won the, the US Open together, first time in history. And then she obviously, that she had the baby. That She's come back and she's playing at the level that she's playing at. Maybe at the stage now in her career where age isn't particularly on her side and just the natural progression of just slowing down a little bit will maybe create some of this frustration for her. But I think she will continue to play as long as she feels she can pose a threat for these top players. And in a one-off match, you can see that she's still a massive fear. She creates a lot of fear and threat for the other players on tour. Whether she can win major events still I'm not sure if she can press through all of those rounds she could be good for the odd round or two and the upset or two but she's a great inclusion in the tour and it, she should be up there with the top three that you're talking about too yeah the she's such a class act and role model and ambassador for the sport and dangerous on court as well so I agree and I've been enjoying the women's game just, just as much if not more I wanted to ask you quick before you go with the 10 Nile relationship. Do you ever see a period of time where Tene might beat or exceed Nile? I think she can beat her sister. Will she exceed her from a ranking standpoint? That will be tough. Not to take anything away from her sister. Tina for me is a fant- an amazing athlete, as is her sister. They're very different. Tina Nile is more like a ballerina type, very light, fleet-footed. Tina's more powerful, more dynamic, extremely strong physically, very uh, a, a great engine on her so she can compete and she can go for extensive periods of time. I feel that there are a few technical flaws, or not flaws, that's the wrong word, technical tweaks that she could possibly look to make, especially on the backhand side, if she's going to really trouble and take down her sister because from a consistency standpoint Naylor will get too many balls back there's already this little bit of a pecking order thing with the older sister the sibling rivalry she's Naylor will have the the better head-to-head lead in stats between the two players but Naylor but Tina will certainly cause problems for her but I feel there's some changes need to be made so PJ, before you go, one last question. There's been a little bit of banning about on the on the internet regarding the darts that just happened. It was a big deal in the crowd participation yeah. and the noise. And a few PSA players yeah. chimed in saying, hey, this is what squash should be. Like this yeah. kind of atmosphere. And I'm wondering from a from a player point of view, PJ, whether a raucous atmosphere where there's nonstop noise and cheering going on while the points are going on and like beer fueled and just people basically going crazy in the stands. Do you think that would be good for squash? And do you think the players could adjust to that type of atmosphere? Short answer. Yes. I think it's, it will be a massive attitude change on behalf of the squash playing community. We're used to playing in private country clubs, gentlemen's clubs, where it's silence while the game's going on, a light rupture of applause at the end of a high-quality rally. But I think if we're looking to move and change... Again, we are a separate sport from darts. Squash is its own entity. Mm-hmm. But we could do... Players thrive and love playing in these gladiatorial environments where the crowd feel like they're very much inside the court. The seating is 
set up in such a way that their the seating goes very much in more of an upward motion as opposed to more, more of a laid back motion where you're away from the court. So you get that that real feel that the fans are in there with you. And I think the players, listen, if you go out and play or you watch some of the tournaments or the matches in Egypt, it's already a quite a raucous crowd and it's, it adds to the atmosphere. As long as it's done tastefully and respectfully, I think the more interaction we can have with the crowd, the more they can feel part of the game. It can only help because at times it can be some a little bit too proper and there isn't enough crowd involvement because they're almost apprehensive to make a noise and they want to come across quite reserved and quite conservative. It, but it's almost so quiet now that any little noise affects anyone because it's like when you're used to living in the city and you're used to going to sleep with the horns blinking and blaring and stuff and then you go to the country and you're like, yeah. I hear crickets, I can't sleep. So it's yeah. that atmosphere. And it's funny because the the example I gave when people were discussing this was Mohamed Al-Shirbagi, I believe it was in Hong Kong, stopped play because someone was eating potato chips. I remember. Yeah, he's eat, eating them too loudly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, sorry, Connor, just very quickly. It's just that it's a mindset. It's a change we need from a bit of a, just an attitude. And I think the players would adapt because when you're out there playing, as long as you can hear the ball and the... I don't see any problems. In fact, I would encourage it. But it will be a shift because it's something we're not used to. Yeah. What you want is consistent ambiance and atmosphere. And I would certainly be in the camp of let's make it more energetic. Let's make it more getting the crowd into the match. I'm in favor of that. And then what you want to avoid is what is really disruption or distraction, right? So if someone was going to every time or making a loud noise, but then suddenly Muhammad had a clear shot and you really yell like, you suck! Or something that was really purposeful and distraction. That would be what you want to try and... Uh, would you love to see that happen just once though, just to see what Muhammad would do? <laughs> that would be... Well, I mean, if literally you... blood would come spurting out of his eyes. I literally believe he, <laughs> he may literally have an aneurysm on court. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and just for context there, because you... Cause you <laughs> I caught up, but you're talking about darts. Can you give the what was going on in darts? So, for context? I don't follow darts, but it was all over the internet. There was a young player who was 16 years old who I guess made it to the finals of this of this dart tournament. It, granted, they, in, in the United States, they were calling him the Danny Almonte of darts, which might not mean anything to you folks, but Danny Almonte was a Little League pitcher for a team from New York who brought the team from New York all the way to the Little League World Series championship game, and then they found out he was like 20. <laughs> so the dart player was 16, but he looked like a full-grown man. <laughs> he, had, he had a beard, he had a little mustache. He looked like he was in his 20s. But I, it took the internet by storm. It's a great internet sport. It's a great for clips on the internet and to show them on Twitter or on X or on Instagram. So it just it gained a lot of popularity. And it seems like a lot of the PSA players are into darts. And you know what's interesting about that as well? It was the final of the World Dart Championships, and it's at the Ali Pali. Which is the Alexandra Palace, ah. which is where the London Open is going to be held. It, so, do you think that's what spurred all the conversation by the PSA players regarding 100%, this? Hundred percent. Yeah. Would have been nice yeah, to yeah. you to bring that up, PJ. That's why we have you on the show here. I didn't need to. That's why you're here, Bill. <laughs> all right, PJ. Did you have to go? I have to run, boys. It's been emotional. One of my young students is playing in his twelfth round at the British Open here in Birmingham. <laughs> so. Gonna go and watch him play. <laughs> Good luck, and hey, PJ, thanks for submarining the uh, the Joey Barrington interview. That was awesome. Well done. Don't worry. All right.
Joey who? So Connor, so P- PJ had to go coach the, the BJL. So we appreciate him coming on. It ruined a lot of material I had on lambasting PJ for not showing up for the podcast and not being easy to get to. And he did submarine my interview with Joey Barrington over Christmas. I was going to do what we call a buckshot. PJ, I had Joey lined up. We finally pinned Joey down a time. I sent him an invitation. He okayed the invitation. And then PJ called him and told him that he wasn't going to be on it. And Joey said, oh, can we wait for another time? Thanks, PJ, for that. But we move on. Bill, forgiveness bill moves on from that. So coming up, the restart of the PSA tour starts with a big one in Florida. How about that? A gold tournament in Florida, Connor. 10 years ago, you ever think that was possible? A major event with these two type draws in Florida, in the United States. No. Oh, totally. I th- There's been events going on in Florida because that's where the pros always love to go, but it was maybe a 10K, 15K. Mm-hmm. So to get it of, of this level, no. And it's great to see. And we're seeing other hotspots like Houston coming up. First two gold um, events of the year are in Houston, are in so- south, the south part of the United States. <laughs> you would think I wasn't from the United States, the southern part of the United States. Whiles, when you think about it, the plan to open up that type of venue in South Florida, not only to attract players who want to, just like tennis players who flock down to Florida to train and golfers who flock to Florida to train because of the year-round great weather. I've been watching on Instagram and on Facebook college teams using this time, this break in their season to do training trips down to Florida. So teams heading down in Kinetics, the place to go. So he talking to Peter Cheshire, their head pro down there. They've had college teams in and out of there for the last three weeks. He says it's just been amazing, all the players down there. And now we have a PSA tournament, a gold tournament coming up, coming up starting Tuesday. So just in, incredible. The, the headline for this tournament, to me, is the return of Gohar. Noran's back. We unfortunately lose Amanda, and we'll talk about that later. But we have Noran Gohar back, the pr- player who two years ago at this time was the dominating player on the PSA Tour. Obviously has been injured, some plantar fasciitis. After the Paris event in the beginning of the season, she has been absent from the calendar, absent from any of these tournaments. So looking forward to seeing what she, if she's back or not. And if she is, boy, would that be a shot in the arm for women's squash. I think the other big headline for me is Asal being the number two seed and seeing how he, this is, it's a little bit more of a, the deck is cleared in terms of the other big hitters. And so it'll be interesting to see how is his opportunity to build that confidence take home the trophy with a gold and and then use that to springboard on the rest of the season. No? Yeah, the TOC falling right afterwards. Yeah, Saul, the number two seed, Diego, the number one seed. So Diego, going back to where his original U.S. training home of Florida, obviously he's very used to those courts and especially very very much used to that glass court there at Kinetics. So that's the beginning, and then we jump right into the TOC, and we'll do a preview of the TOC on our next show. Squash in the news, though, Connor, besides the tournaments, there's been a bit of squash in the news, and I know that you were interested in ta- taking on some of these topics. Yeah, we're a little bit late to covering this, but I thought people didn't see it. It's it's worth noting. I think anytime squash hits major headlines, even if it's negative or positive, mm-hmm. I think it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And so the one was with the Amanda Sobe and obviously her injury, but this was covered in Newsweek. So yeah, a known publication. And they did a really, you know, you, you and I probably know more of the details, but if you didn't, Right. It was a really, right. it was a great story. I'm mean, talking about a player who had been injured, what her path was like there. And then Amanda was displaying the resiliency of, hey, I know what this recovery path looks like. I'm more experienced in it. And 
has aspirations of returning to the top and even better. So I thought it was a really motivating story in general. You're right. It's one of those things where the, the, if you know the details, you could pick out little things. And I think the one that jumped out was where it said that she was, when she got injured, she was playing for a $190,000 first place prize in Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, wow, yeah, wow. And then that prize money really shot up there. Lee Beach also got a battlefield promotion being CEO <laughs> versus, <laughs> but a little pressure on Amanda here. I think it's an awesome storyline, her recovery, especially with the Olympics on the horizon. It's so far away, 2028. But that being said, she's getting publicity a lot on the, on social media about her recovery. So if she does come back and gets back to her form, she just pummeled Sherbini. El Shabini in, in, in Hong Kong. If she gets back to that form, what an awesome story. And it will be like the culmination of this journey of her recovering from her second Achilles tear. But that being said, you go through all this and you get all this publicity about your rehab and your recovery, pressure on you to perform once you get back, right? I think there's, this is what the name of the game for all these players. There's always pressure. True. Right? No, there, all true. And, and I actually, Olivia, now Weaver on the podcast said, pressure is a privilege. Hmm. Right for her to be in that spotlight to achieve that because basically no one could be paying attention to her injury recovery, so this is a privilege. And so then, how do you meet that? So I think I'm seeing her really lean into this and saying I want to document it. I you she was pretty vocal about how there's the physical drawbacks and challenges of do, of recovering from an injury, but really what I think Amanda was also shedding light on was just the mental aspects. How and so. I think the second time around, she's going to be more prepared. She already alluded to, I know what success looks like. It's the same injury. It's not a new injury. So right. she really knows right. this. So it's interesting. And but I agree the spotlight will be on her, but I think she hopefully she can use that as fuel and not, not burn her, herself out. Yeah, and in the Newsweeks, to get attention from a publication as well-known and as high-profile as Newsweek is just fantastic. Um, it, it, really, really cool. The other story, not as... If that's a positive story, his negative story is Mustafa Asal. <laughs> so I, I had this was the first time I even knew this award existed, and the award we're talking about was the Anti Sportsman Personality of the Year, which is just an odd. Like Bill, I think you should have been in the room when they were naming that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, like, Mustafa like the Razzies. Don't like they name like the worst movies of the year, the worst actors of the year? It was Europe. It was England centric though, no, or European centric because it was in the Guardian, which is a European. It's a UK based publication, and Mustafa Saw was really getting top billing there coverage for his sportsmanship <laughs> or lack thereof. Do you think the folks who did that just kind of were like they do a search bad sportsmanship? This pops up and they do they really think they have any idea who Mustafa Saul is or if they even do, do they know like the background and the story? I think it's let's Google bad sportsmanship. Oh, this looks cool. It's squash. It's it, in, it's an Egyptian guy. Let's 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 throw that up there and see if it sticks. I, I think given that squash is well known in that area, I mean, there's so there's a chance that one of the writers is aware and follows squash. And so yeah. would have put that forward. I don't think none of Mustafa's antics broke the news frankly so really would have to if you're searching it it'd be really hard to search that anyway so I, I think there's a writer in there put it forward and i'll put it this way i still i do subscribe to no publicity's bad publicity yeah unless it's a morals charge or something like that don't pretend yeah, you don't know what a morals charge is connor 
I don't. So like the Ep- like if Mustafa Saul appeared on the Epstein list, that would be something we wouldn't want. That's not good publicity. That's what I'm trying to drive at. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that would put we, we could have that to be. I don't know. But yes, okay. I love <laughs> where your head goes. I love where your head goes. Like, except for this, Connor. I guess in that light. I thought I saw. By the way, I saw on the Epstein list. I did go through it, and I don't think it was Absalom, but it was like Salam at the end. So I didn't see because the, the first few letters were redacted. So I'm just saying, maybe the PSA wants to look into that. Just you know, throwing it out there. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to let you transition out of this one. <laughs> All right. Other squash in the news. Olivia Blatchford-Klein, a U.S. player. We both know her really well. We love Olivia Blatchford-Klein. Just one, mm-hmm. of, one of the nicest people on tour, one of the smartest, one of the brightest people on tour. Just a pleasure. Any interaction with her is always a pleasure. She announced her retirement at the ripe old age of 30. Number one, I don't know whether I was more shocked that Olivia Blatchford was only 30 or when I saw Jahangir Khan was only 60. Did you see when Jahangir Khan like turned 60, they threw all that up the, on the, on social media. I was like, right. I would have thought Jahangir Khan was like a hundred. Number one, he's looked like he was 60 since he was 40. But I, so that was stunning to me, but no, back to Olivia Blatchford, 30 years old on the tour for 17 years. She started on the PSA tour when she was 13. Yeah. She really, and she set her own path at an early age of for, of forgoing the college ranks to jump straight. Her dedication to squash was so high. She said, I want to be professional. And mm-hmm. she was playing there. And I actually had a cool moment in time where this was 2008 in the, we were fielding a team to go to Egypt to play in the women's world team championships. And it was down to Amanda Sobe versus Olivia and whoever won that. And she edged her out. It was a nail biter, but Olivia got the nod and then, on that team, I had uh, Olivia, I had four different decades covered. I had the teens, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s covered. Natalie Granger was the 40s. No, she was 30s. So when was this? 2008? 2008. So let's see if I could guess. Was it a con? Latasha Khan? No. no. So a 40-year-old, oh, Hope Prokop. You got it. Yes, yes. So not bad, huh? Not bad. Yeah. That's, so- that's impressive. Sorry if I thought Natalie Granger and Latasha Khan were 40 in 2008. I apologize, ladies, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the 20s, you that would be a tough one to guess because... Claire Rines Weston. Are you messing with me? That is a pull. That's you, a solid pull. I was looking at Olivia's you, I was looking at Olivia's match last night. All these names from Junior Squash came back to me. Claire Weston Rines or something like that. Do you remember her? Hey, hey that's 100% right. That was her. Was uh, right? Graduate. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's it? What? That's why I was like, are you messing with me? Like, you already looked this up. You know the answer. No, honestly, Connor, last night okay. I went, shout out Howard Harding for, for Squash Info. And you could go through. And I was looking at Olivia's career because I wanted to, like, just as we were, I knew we were going to talk about her this morning. So I wanted to get a little nostalgic. Get a little nostalgic. And then you start to see some of the names of some of the people she played in Junior Squash. And that was one of the people that I remember. There was a couple. <laughs> I'm afraid to go down this path for fear of my true feelings about some of these people's, not them because they were just kids, but their parents will come through. So I will not talk about it. We will cease this conversation here. But what are the chances, Connor, of all the questions you've ever asked me that I would get a correct answer that I got that correct? That's impressive. That's actually impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, it was an interesting challenge having that full teens, twenties, thirties, and forties. And it was very clear the differences that were going on. Like Like your dating life back then. It was very similar. Teens, 20s, yes. 30s, and 40s. Exactly. That's, we won't talk. We won't talk about that. <laughs> that being said, let's look. Just look back to be a, bring it back to a little more serious. Is Olivia's career just absolutely yeah. incredible? She won seven PSA titles. 
She played on six U.S. world teams. She won four national junior titles. She was the U15 British Junior Open champion. Just a stellar career. In a lot of ways, she put the U.S. women on the map. She like for a true U.S. player, Natalie Granger was the number one player in the world, but she was not an American-born player. So Olivia yeah. was like the first U.S. star, right? She was Olivia Blatchford, and she, <laughs> the only thing that Olivia did to me that that I could look back at and say, not great, Olivia, was when she got married and changed her name to Olivia Klein. And I continued to announce her at U.S. Championships as Olivia Blatchford. The, the transition for me, I don't know how it was for Olivia, whether marriage was tough for her, the transition of being married was tough. I just know for me, it was difficult. <laughs> it, it is all about you, Bill. I'm sorry that was so tough on you. But no, I think you said it really well that she really helped put U.S. squash on the map. will go down in history as one of the most decorated U.S. team players in history. It would be great to get Olivia on just to talk about some of the places she's been and the things she's seen. She has been traveling the world at such a young age and such a, has such a good perspective about it. She's so well-read. She's so smart and so eloquent in her when she talks. And even her, her goodbye Instagram post was very Olivia Blatchford Klein, just very eloquent. Yeah. Just quickly on, on a lighter note, Olivia Blatchford Klein made me think that we had Olivia Blatchford get married. We, you flawlessly referenced Olivia Weaver. In, in, instead of Olivia Fichter, which is just an unreal transition for someone to make because we've known her as Olivia Fichter our whole lives. But we've had a couple of others. We had uh, Tesney Evans. Tesney Evans, shout out Tesney, got married and is now Tesney Murphy. So that's going to be a tough transition for people to, to wrap their heads around, to go to te from Tesney Evans to Tesney Murphy. And uh, I think the biggest one will probably be when we get Nayla Call. Oh. <laughs> Anything else, Connor? No, I think that's nice to have another one in the can, getting the boys back together. Great show. Talk to you next week. See you, Joey. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.